welcome to Dads with Daughters. In this show, we spotlight dads, resources, and more to help you be the best dad you can be. Welcome back to the Dads with Daughters podcast, where we bring you guests to be active participants in your daughter's lives, raising them to be strong, independent women. Today, we got another great guest with us who has two daughters. You know, you know that I have two daughters as well, and it's important for us to be able to connect with other dads that have similar situations, but also different situations, because each and every one of us are able to learn from each other. And that's a really important thing. It's so important for us to be able to talk with one another, but also listen to one another and be able to understand the differences that fatherhood can take, but also that can present itself to each of us in different ways so that we have an ability to be able to learn, to grow, and to become even more engaged and a better father overall. So as I said, we've got another great guest today. Len Hurstein is with us today. Len is a father of two. We're going to be talking about him being a dad of of two daughters that are in their teenage years. But we're also going to be talking about a book that he has out called Be Vigilant, Strategies to Stop Complacency, Improve Performance, and Safeguard Success. Len, thanks so much for being here today. Thanks, Chris. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. It is my pleasure having you here and talking to you about fatherhood. One of the things that I love to do is to start off is to turn the clock back in time. So I want you to turn the clock all the way back, maybe 18, 19 years. And I want to go back to that first moment that you found out that you were going to be a dad to a daughter. What was going through your head? Fear. Everything was new for me, and uh, we had worked so hard. Uh, it was difficult for us to get pregnant, so we had worked so hard with you know the singular focus of making that happen when it finally happened, and then and then I realized uh, that I was going to be a dad to a daughter. I, I started feeling woefully unprepared and unqualified. And so uh, I would say those those were the feelings uh, that continue on to this day, I think. <laughs> you know, definitely fear is something that I think all of us deal with and all of us have to deal with throughout our parenting journey. And as we look at our daughters coming into our lives, there is some fear that starts there. What would you say was your biggest fear in looking at raising daughters in today's society? Well, I think my biggest fear was protecting them. And just, you know, from all the dangers that are out there for women and girls and to make sure that I provided a a safety for them, but also, you know, at the same time, provided them an environment that allowed them to develop into independent, strong human beings that were productive in the world and could stand for themselves. And so, you know, it's kind of that juxtaposition of, of goals, you know, one is to you know, keep them protected and keep them safe. And the other one is to, you know, nurture them and allow them to grow. And sometimes it feels like it's at odds with each other. And so, you know, I think that was a lot of what I was going through at the time. Now you have two daughters and as a father of two daughters, I know that as a father of two daughters myself, each one of my daughters is very unique. I have to cultivate that relationship that is very unique with each and every one of them. Talk to me about what you do or what you have to do to be able to cultivate that relationship with your own daughters and what you love to share with each of them. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I think first and foremost, for me, the most important thing is being present, is being there. You know, I've been lucky 
over the last 18, 19 years, I've been an entrepreneur. I've had my own you know, business. And so that's allowed me the flexibility to spend a lot of time at home and to work my calendar around so that I can be at events and be at sporting events and do different things. It gets more challenging as time goes on because they want to be with you less and less. And so that's, you know, maintaining that relevance and maintaining that presence, I think, is is probably the ultimate challenge. And, you know, as you mentioned, both of my girls are very different. You know, I've got one who's 18. She's going off to college next year. She's, you know, very social and, and very, uh, you know, involved with her friends and, and going out and things of that sort. And, you know, my younger daughter is, she's very focused on sports. She's huge into volleyball and, you know, her life kind of wraps around volleyball at this point in time, seemingly year round. So two very different things, easier to stay involved in the younger daughter's life because I just go to the volleyball stuff and we talk about that. Staying involved with my older daughter as she gets more independent and spends more time away from the home is more of a challenge. And so that's where, you know, you have to be way more intentional about it and make sure that you're factoring in those times to check in and talk and and find those connection points. So as you think back to the time that you've had with both your daughters, what would you say has been the hardest part? for you as a father? I think the the hardest part is probably the same problem I have, probably the hardest part with my wife as well, (laughs) is that by nature, I'm a very non-emotional, I don't want to say non-emotional, I mean, I have emotions, but I am not very emotional. I'm very logic-based and what's next based. And, and I don't get, you know, I don't spend a lot of time thinking about what's happened. I think about what, what's what's happening next. And I think both my daughters and, and my wife are more on the emotion side and, you know, the more, you know, digging into feelings and, and things of that sort, which is super important. It's just, it's just not how I'm wired naturally. And so that, that's always been the problem is, you know, I tend to be pretty blunt and, and straightforward in my thoughts. And, and over the years, I think you know, it's been a work in progress learning how to soften and work around how they need to hear things. I think all of us as dads have to do that, and it's not an easy thing to do. Sometimes so many men are wired to be fixers. And I know as a father of two daughters, when I think of my daughters, when I think of my significant other, and I think of how I relate to them, I have to be very careful of not always being a fixer, but I also have to be a listener. I'm sure you've had to find that yourself. Yeah. And you know what? This may end up being therapeutic for me. I love your thoughts on this because, you know, I struggle with that. I think it's easier for me with my relationship with my wife to understand that I, I can't be the fixer all the time and I have to you know let things go. But at the same time, when you're dealing with your teenage daughters, you know, while you don't want to be the fixer all the time, you also have to balance, in my mind, I have to balance that with what is the value of not fixing versus fixing right now and what are the long-term implications? I don't want to make a point by not fixing, create a situation that has long-term implications for my daughter that I could have avoided and taught a lesson a different way. And so that's that's sort of, I struggle with that line right now, especially with my 18-year-old as she's heading out into the world. And, you know, we, we, prior to the recording, we were talking about college and, and all that stuff. You know, those things about, you know, how much do you let it be and let them, you know, drive their own thing versus, you know, bringing the knowledge that you have to bear knowing that, you know, mistakes at, at this time could have, you know, lifelong implications, so it's hard. It's hard to, to balance that. Like, you know, you, you don't, you know, you shouldn't always be the fixer, but at the same time, there are things that, you know, I think I break that rule sometimes for, for, you know, with, with the macro view. 
In one of my past interviews, I spoke to an individual that uh, works with a lot of men and works with a lot of fathers. And one of the things that she said to me, and it was the first time I'd really thought about it, was when you're having conversations with your kids, your daughters, that many times one of the best things you can do is when they're coming to you from an early age, you can say to them, is this a listening conversation or a fixing conversation. And I can't say that I'm good at doing this because I'm not, (laughs) but it definitely was a interesting way of looking at things and a different way of considering how you interact with your your daughters. Mm -hmm. Because I think that when you give them the ability to choose, you're empowering them to take control of the narrative and you're empowering them to be able to be in control of the conversation, which does take away some of it does make you feel a little powerless in that sense. Not that you want to have old power over your kids, but but being able to provide that that knowledge that you have is something that I think as fathers we want to do. But at times they just want us to listen. And I'm, and I know that my my significant other wants me to do that too. And as I said, I'm not always good at it, but that doesn't mean that I shouldn't keep trying and, and shouldn't keep encouraging my kids to be able to know that I am here. I'm going to help them. And sometimes we do have to allow for them to make some choices that they have to learn from too, right? which is hard. And I definitely not something that I think any dad likes to do, but if we don't do it, we, there's going to be ramifications too. So it's kind of double-edged sword in that sense, because if you are holding their hand versus leading them to the water or helping them to drink, right? Yep. It's that old adage of that. And I think every father struggles with it. I'm sure. I like that idea. I like that idea. I'm going to use that. You'll have to tell me how it goes because I know when I first tried to do it, they kind of looked at me strange like, what are you doing? (laughs) Why are you saying that to me? (laughs) Especially because I tried using it once my kids were older versus starting when they were young. Because I think that if you started it from when they were young and they're used to it, then it's not as hard. Yeah, I I think also my daughters are at a certain age now where they've already kind of figured this out themselves. And so there's a little bit of self-selection going on. If it's a listening conversation, they probably go to my wife. And if it's a fixing conversation, they probably come to me. So I'm sure the first time I ask that question, I'll probably get something like, well, I'm talking to you, right? So it's got to be a fixing conversation. (laughs) Probably at that age, that's probably the case. Now, I said at the very beginning that you have written a book called Be Vigilant, Strategies to Stop Complacency, Improve Performance, and Safeguard Success. Can you talk to me a little bit about complacency? And what was it about complacency itself that made you choose that you wanted to spend the time, the effort, and I'm going to say the wherewithal to be able to put this out into the world? Yeah. So it's interesting. I mentioned that I've been in business for myself for 18, 19 years. I put on a, a conference called the Brand Manage Camp Conference, which is for marketers and, and uh, people in the marketing industry. And over those years, I had dealt with a lot of and worked with a lot of uh, people who I had hired to be speakers who are best-selling business authors and things of that sort. So I always knew I wanted to write a book, but I, I never came up with an idea that I felt was worthy. And then about seven years ago, I actually got into law enforcement, which was kind of out of the blue. I was looking for some way to give back to the community and do volunteer work. And this opportunity came up and I actually 
went through an academy, went through 440 hours of field training, did everything, became a certified peace officer in the state of Colorado, and I am a reserve sheriff's deputy, which means I do everything that a normal deputy does. I just do it for free. And when I was in that, I went in with the eye that this is going to be completely different than business and marketing and anything I had done before. But what I learned right away is that there were things that I was able to apply back to my other life that I wasn't expecting. And the first and most important thing was this concept that complacency kills. And when I started thinking about that, I started thinking, you know what? Complacency kills businesses. It kills brands. It kills uh, professional and personal relationships. And so I kind of got excited about this idea and learning more about it and delving into what is complacency, how do we identify it, and how do we fight it in our in our lives? And so, you know, to answer your question, to me, complacency is often misdefined. So I think a lot of people equate complacency with laziness, but uh, complacency is not really laziness. Complacency is an overconfidence a self-satisfaction, even sometimes a smugness that comes along with success that makes us unaware or unable to identify potential threats. So the difference between complacency and laziness is that laziness is an actual choice. So, you know, laziness by definition is I have the ability to do something and I choose not to do it because I don't want to put in the effort. So that's a choice that we make to be lazy. I need to clean the house, but I would rather sit on the couch and watch the football game. That's a choice. Complacency very rarely is an actual conscious choice. It's just something that happens naturally. We enjoy success. We like being comfortable. And we get into this situation where complacency just is is bred out of that. And so that's why complacency is so dangerous is because we don't see it coming. And we don't see the dangers of it until often it's too late. And then, you know, the next logical question is, well, what's the opposite of complacency? Because it sounds like it's paranoia and I don't like that. That's a bad word. And the reality is the opposite of complacency is not paranoia, it's vigilance. And the difference is paranoia is based in fear and vigilance is based in awareness. So this is all about awareness. It's all about remaining aware of our surroundings, of what's going on, of all the things that are happening so that we can you know, maintain visibility of potential threats so that they don't sneak up on us, so that they don't catch us by surprise, and so that we're prepared for them. Now, you talked a little bit about complacency in the home. I heard you say a couple of things there. Talk to me about how complacency can impact parenting and how... As parents, we really need to, I'm going to say, ensure that we're putting our kids first before the work, before our, before other problems arise. Yeah. So complacency is very relevant to the house, to the household and to your relationships with your kids and your spouse or your partner or whoever it is in your life. Because what happens is, just like in business, when we experience success, it makes us overconfident. So, you know, you're at home, you've got a functioning relationship with your children, people aren't arguing all the time, grades are fine, and nobody's had any interactions with the police, and so everything's going going fine. When everything's going fine, that's when we start having the potential of missing things. There's the ideas of, of threat awareness and not being, and I see it all the time in law enforcement. I see, you know, when I show up at people's houses because something's happened, the parents very often are very surprised. They had no idea. I had no idea that my child was depressed. 
I had no idea that there was bullying going on in school. I had no idea that they were on this website or this this social app and pictures were being shared or whatever was going on. I had no idea. And they had no idea, not because the signs weren't there, but because they got so comfortable with what was going on that they started missing things. They started missing things. And so the more success you're having with your children, the less you feel the need to check in, the less you feel the need to ask questions. Hey, my kid's getting, you know, all A's and B's. I'm not going to get on their case about school. You know, I haven't heard about any drama with friends, so I'm just going to stay out of it. I'm going to let them do what they want, right? So you spend, they're spending a lot of time in their room, but they're getting all their work done and they're doing their chores. So we're going to let it go. These are all the things that lead us down this path of complacency where we become comfortable and we lose sight of of what's going on. And so, you know, the book is filled with actionable strategies you can use today to start identifying and eliminating that complacency with these vigilant strategies. And like I said, a lot of this is is just about awareness. It's about, you know, remaining in the moment, remaining intentional, understanding why you're doing things. And we could talk about, you know, a few of the things, but that's really where the dangers come about, where you feel like you're having success. And when we feel we have success, our natural instinct is to not rock the boat. And that's when we start missing things. Now, I know you said there's actionable steps. And I guess as you look at the steps that you outline, you know, are there one or two that really stand out to you as we're thinking about the dads that are listening today? Are there some specific steps that if somebody says, I want to start attacking the complacency I see in my own life, that they can start right away and they can start moving toward a different kind of paradigm within their life? Absolutely. So I'll give you a couple. I'll pause it and we'll talk about each one and you let me know if you want another one. But first and foremost, I think one of the easiest things that you can do is regular debriefing. So it's a very corporate word or law enforcement word to use. And people are like, well, what does debriefing mean in the house? Like that doesn't make any sense to me. But the reality is that, you know, we debrief things all the time. But most often, if we're being honest with ourselves, we do it when things go wrong. Something happens, something goes wrong, and we sit down with our child or with the family and we talk about what went wrong, mostly to figure out whose fault it was and how do we place blame and how do we punish. And so that's what we use. You know, We don't call them debriefs, but that's basically what we're doing. We're talking about what happened here, what went wrong, and, and, and how do we fix it. We're much less likely to do that when things go right. And it's the same thing in the corporate world. We don't spend a lot of time talking about all the things that went right. We kind of pat ourselves on the back and we move on. You know, your kid gets a good grade or gets some sort of accolade or seems happy or had a good day. We don't really spend a lot of time on it because we don't feel the need, especially as dads, especially as dads. We're way more focused on stuff that goes wrong. A lot of us, me included, are not fantastic at giving praise. You know, praise is, you know, like, well, you did what you're supposed to do. You don't get praise for doing that. You know, that's how I grew up, right? You don't, you don't get praise for doing what you're supposed to do. But here's the thing. Just like in business, at home, what we need to do is make sure we're debriefing things regardless of outcome. We need to make sure that we have regular things set up to debrief. For me, that could just be family dinners, it doesn't have to be anything like formal where we're sitting down and you know in our family conference room and video conferencing or whatever. Like we can sit down and make sure we're having a family dinner or family breakfast or you know the, when the kids come home. You know every night my daughter walks in the door. You know if she's been out with her friends. I make sure I talk about hey what did you guys do? What did you have fun? Who'd you hang out with? What was going on? Let's talk about it. Right. So 
it's important to talk about things even when they're not failures because what we find is that things that are ostensibly successes have micro failures built in. They have things that were successful, could have been more successful. Things might have been successful by accident. Things might have been successful because some other outside influences as opposed to anything we did. And so here in Colorado, I tell people to be a Peyton Manning. Everywhere else in the world, I tell them to be a Tom Brady. And I say, regardless of whether you won or lost, regardless of what that score was, you want to look at that tape afterwards and you want to talk about what went right, what went wrong, what went right, but went right by accident, what went right, but could have gone righter. And and those things will help us identify where those little micro failures are that left unaddressed become macro failures. And so debriefing is by far the easiest, quickest, most simplest thing that you can do right now to help avoid complacency because it also makes sure when your kids know that they're going to have to debrief no matter what is going on, it remains, it makes them more aware of what's going on because they know they're going to be asked questions and they can't just answer with good. How did they do? Good. How are your friends? Good. (laughs) So that awareness that that's going to happen and that everybody's going to get a say in what's going on is important. So debriefing by far, number one. I've definitely had those days where, how was your day? Good. What'd you learn? Nothing. (laughs) Right, exactly. (laughs) So I like that concept of of having to debrief and trying to to get them to share a little bit more. So I appreciate that. Now, you said that you thought that there were maybe two. What's the second one that someone can do? Yeah, so I think another one is what I call threat awareness, is spending time to understand where those potential threats could come from. So what happens... It happens in business and it happens at home. So I'll explain it in business. So in business, we get what I call the roadrunner effect, where, you know, for people of a certain age who are familiar with the roadrunner cartoon and Wiley Coyote and, you know, the beep beep, right? And so Wiley Coyote got so focused on the roadrunner that didn't realize that never did any of the danger come from the roadrunner itself. It came from all the things that were around that Wiley Coyote never saw happening because it was so focused on that on that one thing. It's important for us to build threat awareness so that we can understand and play scenario-based games and understand what we're going to do in certain situations. So, you know, with our teenage children, understanding where are the threats potentially going to come from. So if we understand that th- threats can come from mental health issues, they could come from, you know, body image issues. They could come from bullying at school or other other types of things. Once we understand and build awareness as to where those threats can be coming from, we can remain more aware so that we can see them before they become bigger issues. But even more importantly, we can have already worked out in our heads what we're going to do if those threats come to bear. So what I say in the book is the worst time to figure out what you're going to do in a crisis is when you're in a crisis. And so without that awareness of the threats... We can't take those steps up front that provide us the visibility into those threats. So my youngest, when my oldest daughter was 14 or 13 or something like she was begging us for Snapchat, right? She wanted to be on Snapchat. Everybody wanted to be on Snapchat. Well, being in law enforcement, I know how much bullying and how much bad stuff could potentially happen on an app like that. doesn't mean it always happens, but I know that that's a potential threat. So now we're dealing with an app where, you know, messages disappear, 
which is even worse, right? So, so how do you stay on top of that? Well, you know, so we worked out an understanding that I was also going to be on Snapchat and I would be able to, you know, see things and, and be able to, you know, check the phone wherever I wanted to so that it was not, it was built in understanding that we had together as to how we were going to handle this so that, you know, we didn't find ourselves in the middle of a crisis and not know how to, how to do things. The other problem that that also created for us was this understanding that, you know, with all of my kids' friends on Snapchat or Instagram, or whatever, you could be in a situation where you're a parent and you don't know any of your friend, any of your kids' friends' real names, right? You just know their handles or their nicknames or whatever. I come across this all all the time in law enforcement, especially when someone's like, you know, my child ran away. Okay, well, who could they be with? Well, they could be with Jimmy Jimmy 247. You know, like, well, who's Jimmy Jimmy 247? I don't know. Like, I think they go to high school together. You know, they don't know the names of their of their kids' friends, right? So being under, understanding and building that awareness of potential threats up front allow you to take the steps up front that that keep you aware, that keep you ahead of the game. And that all helps fight complacency. All great advice and definitely things that I think everyone needs to be thinking about as your kids get older. Now, we always finish our interviews with what I like to call our fatherhood five, where I ask you five more questions to delve deeper into you as a dad. Are you ready? I think so. (laughs) In one word, what is fatherhood? Love. Now, when was the time that you finally felt like you succeeded at being a father to a daughter? Oh, that is a good question. I don't know if I've I don't know if I've felt that yet. You know, I think with my oldest daughter, seeing her advocate for herself, she started working and you know, she was having some issues at work and, and seeing her advocate for herself with, with her boss and with her peers started sending me the signals that I was giving her the right tools. Now if I was talking to your daughters right now, how would they describe you as a dad? Goofy and embarrassing. And I think Goofy would be number one, but I think I think if you really dug into it, they would describe me as as being present, as being there. They don't know what it's like for folks whose parents have to work away from the home and travel all the time and all those things. So, I mean, you know, I'm I'm here all the time, so they they see me a lot, probably too much, probably too much. Now, who inspires you to be a better dad? I try to pull things from so many different people. I don't know if I can really put it on one person. I look for people who have had success and over the years it's changed. So, I mean, I used to be in consulting where I was away. I was working 80 hours a week out of town. This was before I had kids, but you know, I drew inspiration from people there that I saw leaving that profession because they made that conscious choice to be with their families and putting that above their careers and understanding that that every choice we make has implications. So along the way, every person I meet, I think has probably inspired me in one way or another, either with their negative behavior that has inspired me to do something positive or, you know, the other way around. So I don't know if that's a great answer. I apologize, but I don't, I don't have one specific person. You know, it's okay. I, I, I think it's better to be able to pull from multiple people and to be able to look at the people around us to, to help us in different ways. So I think your answer was perfectly fine. Okay. (laughs) Now you have given a lot of piece of advice, things anyone can draw from and be able to think about their own situation and how they can put that into practice. But as we finish today, is there one piece of advice that you'd like to give to all dads? Yeah. I think the one piece of advice that will get you through most everything is to remain intentional and remain aware, is to make sure that you are asking the right questions that you can articulate your why 
you know, it's one of the things that I talk in the book is, is being able to understand your purpose and your, and your whys and being on the lookout for when your whys start sounding like, because I said so, or because I can, those are bad whys. And even though they may work when your children are really young, they don't work for a long time. So, you know, remain aware, remain intentional and remain present. Well, and I just want to say thank you. Thank you for your time. Thank you for sharing everything that you've shared today. If people want to find out more about you, about the book, where should they go? Yeah. So two easiest places. One is you can go to my website, lenherstein.com, L-E-N-H-E-R-S-T-E-I-N.com. And all the information about me and the book are there. You can just go order the book if you like on Amazon or Barnes & Noble, wherever you buy your books. And just look me up on LinkedIn. Again, Len Hurstein. Just check me out on LinkedIn and connect with me. I'm always looking to connect with people and continue learning from everybody. We'll put links in the notes today for you to be able to find Len in his different places. And Len, as I said, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you for all that you're doing to help other dads. And I wish you all the best. Thanks, Chris. I appreciate it. Like I said, I think this has also been therapeutic for me. I've learned a bunch as well. So I'm looking forward to going going back and working on things myself. The Fatherhood Insider is the essential resource for any dad that wants to be the best dad that he can be. We know that no child comes with an instruction manual, and most dads are figuring it out as they go along. And the Fatherhood Insider is full of resources and information that will up your game on fatherhood. Through our extensive course library, interactive forum, step-by-step roadmaps, and more, you will engage and learn with experts, but more importantly, dads like you. So check it out at fatheringtogether.org. If you are a father of a daughter and have not yet joined the Dads with Daughters Facebook community, there's a link in the notes today. Dads with Daughters is a program of Fathering Together. Find out more at fatheringtogether.org. We look forward to having you back for another great guest next week, all geared to helping you raise strong, empowered daughters and be the best dad that you can be. We're all in the same boat And it's full of tiny screaming passengers We spend the time We give the lessons We make the meals We buy them presents Bring your A-game Cause those kids are growing fast The time goes by just like a dynamite blast Calling astronauts and firemen Carpenters and muscle men Get out and be the world to them best dad you can be Be the best dad you can be